let's let's look at Psalms number ninety-one. We have this is a very popular psalm and it speaks about divine protection. I want to say divine protection. I wonder if you know that divine protection is our portion. We are we are God's children, and so we are under God's divine protection. I want to read from verse 1 before we come to the table of the Lord. And as I read this, I believe that we shall gain an understanding, a deeper understanding of God's divine protection over our lives, over this church, over our families, over our individual lives. Can someone say amen? amen. And over everything that God has given, given to us. It says here, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place. So there is a secret place. So if you ask me, Pastor Godwell, where is the secret place? I'll tell you it's secret. Everyone say it's secret. It's secret, and so you have to find this place yourself. It's a secret place. And this secret place is available only to those who have given their hearts to Jesus. Not to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Only to those who have given their hearts to Jesus. And then you come into the secret place of the Most High. But I can tell you, it's a place of a relationship with God. It's a place where you are covered. It's a place where you are under divine protection. Amen. And you see why it's secret is because the enemy has no access to this place. It's important that we understand that. The devil has no access to this secret place. It is secret to the devil. When you are under God's divine protection, the enemy can't touch you. And that's what we need to keep emphasizing to the body of Christ. Because a lot of people have been brainwashed to think... That the devil is after them. And if you believe the devil is after you. My question is. What are you doing? That puts the devil on your trail. What are you doing? What are you involved in? What are you touching? What are you giving yourself to? Because it is what we give ourselves to. That will determine whether we are under God's protection or whether the enemy has an upper hand over us. Everyone that's born again is under God's divine protection. Praise God. The Bible says that your life is hid in Christ. And Christ is hid in God. So my understanding of that verse is for the enemy to touch me, he has to first touch the Father God, take him out, and then he has to touch Christ, the word Christ in the Greek, Christos, which is the anointed one and his anointing. So for the enemy to touch me, that is hidden Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. And the anointed one and his anointing that enwraps me and covers me is hidden almighty God. Then the enemy must first take God out. 
when he succeeds in taking Father God out, then he has to take out Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. If he is able to do these two, then I am no match. Then he can touch me. But my question to you this morning is, can he do that? My life is hid in Christ. And Christ is hid in God. So there is absolutely nothing the enemy can do. He can foam in the mouth all he wants. He can plot and plan and scheme and connive all he wants. But the fact and the truth remains. My life is under God's divine protection. Come on now, say amen. amen. If you notice in the book of Job, the enemy couldn't touch Job. And the enemy said, have you not put a hedge of protection around him? The only reason the enemy could touch his stuff, the only reason the enemy could touch his body was because God allowed it. If God had not allowed it, the enemy wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. Can I guarantee you that the enemy cannot touch your stuff? The enemy cannot touch your family. The enemy cannot touch your children. The enemy cannot touch your finance. The enemy cannot touch your life. The enemy cannot touch your future and your destiny. The enemy cannot touch you. Why? Because you are hid in the secret place of the Most High. And if the enemy would succeed in touching you, then he must first take God out and then take out Christ, the anointed one and his anointing, and then he can successfully ruin your life. John 10.10, 10, for the thief cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy. Is that right? So we know this is the threefold activity or the threefold mission of Satan to steal, to kill, and what? Destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. So, yes, the enemy has come to do this threefold mission, but because I am here, because Jesus is here. Because Jesus has come to dispel and to destroy what the enemy intends to carry out over your life. Now the enemy's power over your life is broken. Come on now, say amen. amen. Now the enemy can't touch you because Jesus came to give you life, an abundant life. Come on, say amen. amen. No, he did not come to give you eternal life alone. He also came to give you abundant life. Amen. And abundant life, I believe, refers to this side of eternity. That while you are here, all the days of your life, you'll enjoy the goodness of God. Amen. For surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Not for 20 days, not for 20 years, but all the days of your life, every single waking moment, the goodness of God, the mercy of God is by your side. Can someone shout amen? amen. Surely, guarantee, goodness and mercy shall follow you. Amen. Notice it's not a promise. It is a statement of fact. Surely, 
goodness and mercy will follow. Not a promise. It's a statement of fact. As a child of God, goodness and mercy follows you daily. You may not even realize it, but I tell you, goodness and mercy follows you on a daily basis, 24-7, 365 days a year. Goodness and mercy follows you everywhere you go. When you're walking, bless. When you walk out, bless. When you lie down, bless. When you wake up, bless. When you sit at the dinner table, you are blessed. When you sit at the breakfast table, you are blessed. Surely goodness and mercy follows you. Whether you're walking or you're lying down, you're sitting down, or you're interacting with a friend, or you're striking a business deal, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. If you believe it, give the Lord a big shout of praise. Come on now, I'm preaching better than you're responding this way. Ha! Glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. It's coming on me already. It's rising up on the inside. Mm. That's why I love the anointing. Glory to God. He that dwelleth. Ask two people, do you dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Like I said, there is an entry point. And the entry point to coming to this secret place is by giving your heart to Christ. But when you have Christ, you have divine protection. Don't forget, your life is hid in Christ. Your life is hid in Christ. Your life can't be hid in Christ if you are not in Christ. Come on now. If you are outside Christ, if you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, your life is not in Christ and therefore you are a prey to the devil. At any time, the enemy can take you out. At any time, the enemy can ruin your life. At any time, the enemy can touch you because your life is not in Christ. The way for you to come into Christ is by giving your life to Christ. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent from heaven to die for the sins of man. For behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For the Son of Man has not come to what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might what? Might be saved. So he came that he might save us. Can someone say amen? <laughs> and the work was perfectly done at Calvary. Salvation is here. Can someone say amen? amen? There is no salvation in any other name. But there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in Christ. Do you know the name Jesus means salvation? Right? For you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall do what? Save. The name Jesus means salvation. For he shall save his people from their sin. The name Jesus means salvation. Can someone say amen? amen. So why did Jesus come? Amen. To save. What salvation? What is salvation? The word in the Greek is sozo. It means completeness. It means wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's complete. It's, it's whole. Salvation in every area. Not just salvation from sin, but salvation from lack and poverty. 
salvation from sickness, salvation from eternal damnation. Everything that the enemy throws at you cannot touch you. Why? Because Christ has saved you. Come on now, say amen. amen. No, listen, he did not come just to save us from sin. He came to save us from everything that sin came with. Oh my God. Sickness came with sin. Poverty came with sin. Depression came with sin. Come on now. But everything that sin came with, Jesus set us free from. Come on, say amen. Everything that sin brought into the human life, the human race, Jesus delivered us from. For through one man, sin came into the world and death came by sin. But through another, life came. And this another is the last Adam, is the second man, and his name is Jesus. And through Jesus, life came. And the Bible says we do not just have life, but we reign as kings in life by this Jesus Christ. Do I have any kings in this place? Come on now, do I have any kings in this place? Women, you can't even lift your hands. You can say, I'm a king. Do I have any king in this place? Any king in the house this morning? Some of you are not sure, but we get you. We get, we get, we get you, we get you into this flow very soon because it seems like you, you couldn't lift your hands because you have not come into Christ. Very soon we'll invite you to come into Christ. And when you come into Christ, before you go back to your seat, I'll tell you you are a king. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Do you trust Him? Yes. You know the Bible says some trust in chariots. And some trust in what? Horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They have fallen and we have risen. And we stand upright. Can someone say amen? Yes. The Bible says, Woe is he that puts his trust in the arm of the flesh. For the arm of the flesh shall fail. But blessed is the man. Who puts his trust in the Lord? Can someone say amen? amen? For you see, when God is with you, you are majority. Yeah. And people can plan and plot and cook up all kinds of things against you. But listen, you don't need everyone to be with you. All you need is for God to be with you. Amen. Because see, when God is with you, my God, He is your shield. He is your protector. He said unto Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. Me, not your family, not your friend. No, I am. Your exceeding great reward. If I am with you, you're good. If I am with you, you're fine. If, if I'm with you, you are protected. If, if I'm with you, you are blessed. If I'm with you, the doors will open. Don't, don't try to scheme and try to plan and plot with people and push and shove and try to make your own way. If I am with you, don't worry. Everything will be fine. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. Do you trust the Lord? Or are you trying to trust Him this morning? Lord, I'm trying to, tr I'm trying to trust you. Let me, let me hear what Pastor God really is saying this morning. I'm, I'm trying to no, trust Him. Rely on Him. The Bible says, if you read, when, when the Bible talks about trust and faith in the, in the Amplified Classic, it says to confidently rely on, to confidently trust, to lean on. Trust in the Lord. 
trust in the Lord. Praise God. I will say of the Lord. You know, when I pray this over my life, I do this almost every single day. Psalm 91. I say, He that dwelleth in the sacred place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so I declare it over my life, you know. So I don't say I will say of the Lord. I say, I say of the Lord. He is my refuge. My fortress. My God in Him I trust. My refuge. A refuge is a hiding place. <laughs> Under the old covenant, the Lord gave them a place. The Lord said to them, you must build a city of refuge. That the one who kills a man mistakenly may run into the city of refuge. And if he runs into the city of refuge, his enemy would not be able to kill him. Or the avenger of blood would not be able to take him out. But if he does not run into the city of refuge and the avenger of blood, the relative of the one he has killed mistakenly, catches him and kills him, his own blood shall be upon his own head. The one who kills him will not be guilty. But if he goes into the city of refuge, he is protected. So when David says, he is my refuge, he is my place of divine protection. He is my place where no man can touch me. It is my place of refuge that the one that's trying to take me out and the one that's trying to ruin my life and the one that's trying to kill me cannot touch me as long as I stay there. But if we come out of the refuge, now that's the reason why a lot of, pro a lot of Christians are under the attack of the devil. Why? Because they refuse to stay under the umbrella of God's divine protection. While you're under God's divine umbrella, the rain can touch you. The troubles of life can touch you. Oh, I'm not saying they won't try. They'll try, but they won't touch you. For you see, the Bible says, He that trusts in the Lord is like Mount Zion, that abideth forever and cannot be moved. Huh. Hallelujah. Come on now, say amen. amen. Praise God. So he is my refuge. And he is my fortress, my God, in him I trust. He shall, where is that? No, surely, verse 3. <laughs> surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Now, the enemies, the devil is known as a fowler. But the word snare, it's a trap. Right? When we were growing up as kids, I and my immediate uh, big brother, growing up as kids, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old back then, we would set snares for birds. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> we call them traps. A snare is a trap. So the enemy would set traps in front of you. But you see, because God is with you, and you have learned the way of the Spirit of God, the snare or the trap that the enemy sets in front of you, the Lord shall show you before you get there. Amen. Hope I'm preaching to you. Because say, I'm looking at you now. They are not responding. So the, the trap, the snare that the enemy sets in front of you, 
the Lord shall reveal it to you before you get there. Amen. That's why he says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. You will not fall into the trap. Because before you get there, the Lord will navigate your movement. Amen. And the Lord will cause you to sidetrack the snare. The trap is still there. Someone has got to fall into it. And guess who's going to fall into it? The one who set it. Yeah. They, they can plan against you. They can plot against you. Whoever plans against you will fall into the plan. Oh, I'm preaching some African message here. They, yeah, they can plan against you. They can plot against you. Whoever sets the trap and thinks you will fall into the trap, guess what? They will fall into the same trap that they have set for you. That's why I'm not afraid. I'm not bothered about people planning and plotting. You can plan. You can plot. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 54, they shall surely assemble, but not by me. As many that shall assemble against you shall fall for your sake. Those that gather together and they think they want to bring me down. They think they want to bring you down. They want to pull you down because when you go down, then they think they are blessed. Because a lot of people are excited when you fall. But I'm here to tell you, whoever plans your downfall, the same thing they plot for you is what they're falling into. Ah, I'm preaching some message here. I pray that somebody gets this. They set the trap. They set the snare. But the Bible says that God shall show them to me. God shall reveal the plan to me. That's why sometimes I go to bed and I see what the enemy is plotting and pl plotting and planning. And it's about to bring it to manifestation in the next two, three weeks or next two, three months. But I go to bed and God shows me. And because God shows me, I walk away from it. And I escape the plan of the enemy. And, and, and the enemy is wondering, how come this guy escapes me every time? Because I've got what we call inside information in me. Come on, someone say, I've got inside information. This is, this is not my message today. What's going on here? This is not my message. I have a message on my heart that I want to share with you. But I've got, someone say, I've got inside information. Praise God. Right here. Right here. Many times I would wake up 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I'll, I'll do this to my wife. I'll say, I just had a dream. And then I tell her the dream and I go back to bed. And then two months later, she says, remember what you told me two months ago? Yeah. Sometimes I say, no, I don't remember. <laughs> no, you told me this. And it came to pass. And sometimes it's the plan, plan of the enemy. The enemy is cooking up something against you. But the Lord will show you ahead of time. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. That's why in these last days, every believer must learn the ways of the Spirit. This, this, is, this is not a luxury anymore. This is a necessity. To know the voice of God and to be able to discern. And to desire spiritual gifts. And say, Lord, reveal deep things to me. And the Lord will begin to open your eyes and to show you things. Sometimes it's a snare that the enemy sets. And here comes this guy. Here comes this girl. My God, they're talking up a very nice story. 
If you judge from what you're hearing, you'll be deceived. But no. I've got inside information about, who, about, who, about you. I know you. You look good, you look nice, you talk a good talk, but I know you have a plan. Come on now, say amen. amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. And because I've got inside information, this thing is not going to work. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The enemy sometimes will plant the enemy. The devil will plant people into your business. The, the devil will plant some people into the church. You say, this is the house of God. <laughs> One naive brother told me many years ago, he said, the church is a hospital. I said, no, it's not. Church is a house of God, not a hospital. <laughs> if you want to go to the hospital, go to Taxim Hospital or go to Shishli Fal. Those are hospitals. The church is not a hospital. The church is the house of God. Amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. Church is a hospital, so everybody's welcome. Come on, Pastor Godwell. Everybody's welcome. You don't have the right to kick someone out of Someone wrote me, you can't kick me out of the church. You don't own the church. But I just kicked you out. <laughs> and if you, don't, if you don't stay out, I'll tell the ushers to take care of you. I've got strong ushers here. <laughs> no, listen. You can be. You can. You can be. You can be clueless. You can be naive. You certainly cannot be spineless. Oh, Pastor God, oh, but you know, it's the house of God. Everyone is welcome. Yes, everyone is welcome. In actual fact, I encourage people to come as you are, but don't stay as you are. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are. Come just as you are, okay. But don't stay as you are. <laughs> That's the reason I sang that song. <laughs> but it seems like you guys like the song. Let's sing. Come, now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. One day every tongue will confess. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who 
gladly choose you now one day one day one day one day every knee will bow still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now one day one day one day one day every knee will bow still the greatest treasure remains for those gladly choose you now come now is the time to worship come now is the time to give your heart come just as you are to worship come just as you are before your But don't stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Can someone say amen? amen. Where are we? Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, my God. And under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasted at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Praise God. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not touch you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample on the foot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he had known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and shew him my salvation. Come on, give the Lord a big shout of praise. Amen. Long life. So today as we come to the communion table, I want to encourage you to believe God. 
Because you see, a sickness is the beginning of death. So if you are sick in your body, God's going to heal you. Praise God. But you see, at the table, there is divine protection. God's going to protect you and protect everything that you own and protect your family. The Bible says a thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but he shall not touch you. You will be, tell someone I'm untouchable. Tell, tell someone I have divine immunity. You know what that means, right? Divine immunity. There, 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 is, there is political immunity, right? You see these politicians, ambassadors, you know, they have immunity, right? But you, you have divine immunity. Immunity that no man can lift. You see, their own immunity, someone puts it, someone takes it. When, they are, when you are no more in their good book, they just take it away from you. Amen. But you have divine immunity. Divine grace, divine protection. Can someone say amen? But you see, if you've come into this place and you haven't known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says don't come to the table of the Lord. And the reason is because... It says, if you don't judge yourself, God will judge you. So it's important that we, we judge ourselves. Now, what does it mean to judge yourself? If you go to the courthouse, you, you listen to the judge. What does he say? He's heard all the whatever case that's made in front of him. Is that correct? And then he says, this is my judgment. Right? Guilty as charged. To the guy or you are discharged and you are acquitted is that correct and the guy walks out of the courtroom totally free now when the judge passes that judgment whether he says discharged or acquitted guilty as charged whatever he says will hold is that correct now but he does not pass judgment without first listening to the what exactly but you've got to bring proofs. Is that true? So when the Bible talks about judging ourselves, the Bible is saying we need to call a spade a spade. We need to say, I'm wrong when I'm wrong. I am right when I'm right. According to God's word. So if my life is contrary to the truth of his word, I have to say my life is contrary to the truth of his word. Are you listening now? Now when I come in agreement with what God's word says about the way I am living, then I need to cry out to him and ask him to do what? To set me free. To save me. The Bible says as many that come to him, he will in no wise cast away. So we have to say, Lord, look, my life is contrary. I'm not living right. And uh, I want you to set me free. I want you to forgive me. And when we come to him like that, then he accepts you and he'll forgive you because you have judged yourself. Now, if you don't judge yourself, then God's going to judge you. Do you understand that? Let me give, give you a very quick example with regards to 
those who refused to judge themselves. There was this man in the Bible, his name is David, the greatest king that Israel ever knew. He was brought from where you might call nowhere and God raised him up to make him someone. God said, I brought you from looking after the, the sheep and I made you the shepherd over my people. Is that correct? And God lifted him up and God exalted him and put him on a, in a place of prominence. He became very wealthy, became very influential. But one time in his life, he made a major mistake which every Bible student knows. The Bible says it was a time when kings went out to war. But David chose not to go out to war. In other words, he was not engaged. And we can look at that from the spiritual standpoint. He was not spiritually engaged. Is that correct? So he sent Joab, the leader of the military. But he, as the king, was supposed to be the one leading the military. Is that correct? But said, Joab, take them to war. Other kings are engaged in fighting, but David did not. And the Bible says, and David climbed up to the, to the roof of his palace. And he looks down and he sees a woman who was taking her bath. I wonder why she was taking her bath in public. But he looks out and sees a woman who was taking a bath. And uh, he said, get her for me. <coughs> Cut a long story short, his sins. And uh, he tries to cover up his sin. What did he do to try to cover up his sin? When he knew that the woman was pregnant, he sent for her husband. He sent a message to Joab, the, the leader of the army. He says, I want you to send me Uriah. Bring him to me. I have something I need to talk to him about. And so Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, comes to King David. And King David, in the bead to cover up what he has done, instead of repent, he's trying to cover. What does the Bible say if we cover our sins? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall obtain mercy. That's the word of God. So David tries to cover up his sin and he says, Uriah, uh, look, I need you to do this and do that. And he's talking around, not really hitting the nail on the head. And then he says to Uriah, I want you to go home. You don't need to go back to the battle tonight. Go home tomorrow morning or you, you can go back and join the military. All in the bead to cover up his sin. Because he thought to himself, if this man goes home, he is definitely going to have something with his wife. He knew it. Because he's been fighting all this maybe weeks or months. And he misses his wife. Is that correct? So he wants, to, he wants him to go home and be with his wife. And if he had gone home and spent time with his wife, and he would discover later that his wife is pregnant, and David would have pinned the pregnancy on the man. This is all plan and scheme to cover up. David was never like this. I don't know what happened to this man. <laughs> so... David wakes up the next day and one of his servants come to David and said, Your Highness, Uriah didn't go home. He slept out there. And David knew that, man, this thing's not working. 
This thing is not working. What, what am I going to do to cover up what I've done? This thing is going to blow up in my face, but I have to cover this thing up. And so David said to Uriah, okay, um, why didn't you go home? What's wrong with you? Uriah said, when the ark of God's presence is in the battleground, and my Lord Joab is in the battleground, how dare I go home and be with my wife? It'll be an abomination. The man who you might think is not righteous was more righteous than the one you think is righteous. <coughs> Preaching good now. Don't ever look down on people. Because the one you think is not is the one that is. They just don't blow their trumpet. But they serve God. They love God. They fear God. Come on now, say amen. amen. No wonder Jesus said on that day, many shall come from places you never thought. And they will stand before God. And those who think they have it will be thrown into the lake of fire. Why should I go home and sleep with my wife? That would be wrong. Just listen to the integrity of the man. And David said, well, something has to be done. Whether you're a man of integrity or not, I need to cover what I've done. So David, David takes his pen and paper and David writes a letter. He writes a letter. He seals it. How dare you open the letter of a king? The letter is addressed to Joab. And he puts this letter in the hand of Uriah. Uriah took the letter, not knowing that he was carrying with him his death sentence. He gets to the battlefield and he gives it to the captain of the army, Joab. And he says, here it's from the king. And Joab opens it and Joab reads it. And Joab reads, oh. Put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And when the enemy come against him, retrieve, retrieve from him that they might kill him. And Joab read it and Joab couldn't resist the word of the king. Because the Bible says where the word of the king is, there is power. So Joab looked at Uriah and took him. Hey, you fight here. Fight here with the most valiant men. Fight here against, against the most valiant men of the enemy. And there was Uriah fighting. And these men came against Uriah. And when Joab saw that these men were against Uriah, on Uriah, he tells the others, retrieve. So now it was Uriah and the enemies. He couldn't stand them. They killed him. And the message was sent to David. David, David, oh king, this is how the battle is faring. And gives him a report of the battle. And he writes, and Uriah is dead. And David responds to Joab and says, don't worry. It's a war. In a war, people die. Keep fighting. So David is covering up. 
So when he heard that Uriah was dead, he sent for Bathsheba. He said, come, stay with me, be with me, be my wife. And so he takes Bathsheba. But you see, if you don't repent and if you don't confess, because God loves you so much, he wouldn't let the enemy take you out. He is obligated to come to you. Can anybody get what I'm saying? So what I've told people is report yourself. I hope somebody got that. Tell someone report yourself. <laughs> so because David covered but God loved him so much and God would not let the enemy ruin his life completely God sent Nathan the prophet See, this is what David has done is it not interesting that even the, the, the thing you, you thought is hid before man is not hid before God who knows that God knows everything <laughs> you cannot hide it from God. Before God, everything is exposed. Come on now. God sees everything. Nothing is hid before Him. The Bible says everything that's hidden shall be revealed. Nathan, yes, Lord, this is what David has done. Now go to him. And tell him his sin. Now listen, this is a prophet. Now he's going, to, he's going to meet the king. And he's going to confront the king for the sin the king has committed. You have to understand. If, if he is not careful, the king might kill him. It's a, it's a risky, it's a very risky assignment. But we have prophets, we have men of God, we have servants of God that God has given a voice in many nations. But they have corrupted their voice because they've gone into bed with the political leaders of the nations. You have to understand David was the political leader. You could say as a king he was a civil leader and Nathan the prophet was the spiritual leader of the land. Just like in 1 Kings 17, when the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elijah had to go confront Ahab. And he told Ahab, because of the sin of you and Jezebel, and how you've led the people of Israel into sin, there is drought that's coming upon the land. And, and Elijah was not afraid to tell Ahab. And people that God has made voices in different nations must keep that voice. Because the moment you get into bed, with those that you're supposed to rebuke, you lose your voice. Even in ministry. You get into bed with people you're supposed to rebuke, you have nothing again. You've lost your authority. You've lost your dignity. Come on now, say amen. amen. Ministry is holy. Ministry is clean. The moment you corrupt your life with someone in the church, 
whether it is whatever it is that you do, whether it's a financial dealing, don't ever, as a minister, get involved in a financial dealing with a member of the church. I was preaching somewhere in Europe, and the pastor took me to the airport, and I was flying back. And at the airport, we sat down and we began to talk. And the pastor said to me, Pastor Gordon, what do you advise? There is this business proposal that's been given to me. And uh, I'd like to get some of my church members involved. Is it okay if I tell them to, to, because we need more money to put into this business. So I have some people that can raise. I said, no, 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 no. Pastor, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't, as a pastor... Tell members to bring money together to do a secular business. Because if the business fails, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to lose your respect. You're going to lose your dignity. Because they would think you scammed them. I said, Pastor, you can't do that. If you want to do it, do it all by yourself. Raise the money and get it done. He said they want me to be their, 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 their what you call their representative in the country. I don't want to mention the countries you don't know. Uh, he said, I'll be their representative in the country. I said, yeah, you be their representative in the country if the Lord wants you to do this business, but don't take money from your church members. Don't partner with them in this. Don't do this. Because when, when the going is good, everyone's laughing. Ah, hi, pastor. And if the guy has put in 100,000 euros, and if that is all his life savings, and the business flops, he, <laughs> ah, faster. You don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> don't do it. It won't go, it won't go down well. Can someone say amen? amen. Everyone, say, everyone say common sense. Common it's wisdom. Years ago, someone came to me and said, Pastor Gogo, um, you know, you have people in the church. Can you talk to them about this business um, if they invest this money? That I said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> They'll make a lot of money. No, I'm not doing it. Church members? No. Me? No. Me? Talk to church members about the business and tell them to invest. That's my name. Do you realize that's my name right there? That's my name. That's, that's my, <laughs> my name. My name, if something goes wrong, is about to go up in smoke. Okay. Should I change the topic? Or am I? Uh, should I preach? I said, no, no, don't be involved in that. No, don't, don't do that. Because it's going to be trouble. So let's go back to David. <laughs> Amen. So God is giving you a voice. If God gives you a voice, don't lose your voice. There are things you can't be involved in. You can't be involved in a compromising situation with a member of the church. Come on now, say Amen. Because the people you minister to, 
want to see you live a life of integrity. That's the reason why in ministry you are careful, especially whether you're a man or a woman, let's just say, but as a man, you're careful with those of the opposite sex. I, w- I was laying hands on her. No. Don't, don't lay hands on her in private. In privacy. Lay hands in public. Feel. No, publicly. Lay hands in public. Lay, ha- <laughs> lay hands on her publicly. Everyone seeing you as you're laying your hands. Come on now, say amen. amen. <coughs> Public laying on of hands. The only person I lay hands on privately is my wife. <laughs> I lay hands on her head. Field. <laughs> the only one I lay hands, the only girl I lay hands on privately is Irene, my daughter. Field. <laughs> every other lady, every other girl, you lay hands on in public. Oh, Pastor God, we're having, we're having, we're having counseling. Oh, Pastor God, she invited me to her house. I went to visit. Visit? Are you okay? Preaching good. She invited me to her house. She had a bad dream. And uh, <laughs> when she called me, she was shivering. She was uh, crying. Um, she was freaking out. She was in panic. I had to quickly go and help her. And I went there. I began to lay hands and pray. From my head, my hand moved. <laughs> don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you're not looking at me like. What, what kind of, what kind of message is this man preaching? I'm preaching what some of you know. Don't look at me that way. I'm preaching what you know. You understand what I'm talking about? I know I'm not in Bible school, but I, I, I have to preach this thing. Come on now, say amen. Because a lot of people have lost their voice because of the people that they've involved themselves with. You can't correct people anymore because you've lost your voice. How can you tell them you can't do that when you are doing it? Come on now, say amen. How, how can you correct someone when you're doing the same thing that, you, that you're telling them not to do? Amen. We can't lose our voice. Thank you. 
can't lose your, you can't lose your voice. You've got to maintain your voice because people need your voice. People need your voice. People need the truth. We don't want people coming to tickle our ears and tell us what, the, what we like to hear. We want people telling us the truth. The truth is what sets us free. Not what tickles our ears and make us feel good. And oh uh, yeah, that's a great message, pastor. You may not like my message today, but I'm preaching it anyways. Praise God. Come on now, say amen. amen. Years ago, the Lord gave me a vision. And I went to the house to visit. And I went to correct. And I was told... I sleep on the bed. He sleeps on the couch. That's what she told me. What a lie. How <laughs> dare you lie to me like that. I sleep on, I'm sleeping on the bed. He's sleeping on the couch. <laughs> you know, people think we're stupid. <laughs> Some people think we're stupid. Look at my forehead. This is, this is stupid here. No, I'm not stupid. I'm sleeping on the bed. He's sleeping on the couch. Four months later, something. Four months later, four months, about four months after I went to Wondam, she was pregnant. How can you get pregnant from, the, uh, from a distance? <laughs> Huh? You, you, got preg you got pregnant sleeping on the bed while he's on the couch? Come on now. Don't lie. Confront it. Face it. Be real. Tell three people be real. Confront it. Face it. Be honest. Repent. And if you repent, God will forgive you. And if you repent, God will restore you. There's no need beating about the bush and playing games and lying and, and trying to cover up what you've done. If you cover, you will not prosper. Because those that cover their sin, they are full of pride. And the Bible says, God will resist the proud, but to the humble, He'll give them grace. Amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. Sleeping on the couch, sleeping on the bed. What, what a story. Anybody getting anything today? Yeah. So, uh, is it David, right? We're talking about David. <laughs> you know, when I preach, I have, I have so many ways to go sideways and, you know, I just go all over the place. But it's important. Don't lose your voice. Tell people, don't lose your voice. Lose your voice. You need your voice. You need your voice. Preachers, you need your voice. If you're a preacher in the house, you need your voice. Keep your voice. Keep, keep your voice. 
And one of the ways that if a preacher, for me particularly, I, I, I don't want to lose my voice. And so I'm not, I try not to be too familiar. I'm very friendly, but I don't get too familiar. What's the difference? Yeah, that's a difference. That's a big difference. I have to love people. I have to t- take care of the, the house of God. But I don't want to get too familiar with people. Are you listening now? Because the moment you get too familiar now, you cannot correct anybody. That's very true. And that's not to say you are untouchable, you are, un, you are not reachable. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Because familiarity breeds contempt. So don't lose your voice. Tell someone, don't lose your voice. So David covered it. And Nathan comes to him. And Nathan said, there was a man who had a, a, a visitor. And uh, Instead of killing one of his lamb or one of his sheep and entertaining his visitor, he chose to go after the lamb of this man in the city or in the, in the, in the town who has lived with this lamb all his life and forcefully took this lamb. And killed it and offered it to entertain his visitors. On hearing that, David knew because he was a man of integrity and men of integrity are men of justice. Yes, he made a big mistake, but David was a man of integrity. The moment he heard that, the justice in David rose up and he stood up from his throne and he said the man who has done that will die and the man who has done that must pay back four times or fourfold what he's taken how dare he do that that's injustice and that's wickedness nathan looked at david and said oh king you are the one thus saith the lord i brought you from looking after the sheep and i made you king or shepherd over my people and you have so many wives and if you needed more I would have given you why did you do this the Bible says on hearing this David took off his kingly robe took it off sat on the ground and poured ashes upon his head in humility but you see, it's always good to repent before you are caught. Because if you don't repent before you're caught, after you're caught, the consequences remains. 
Because of what you've done and have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to ridicule the Lord. Sword shall never depart from your house. And that which you did in secret shall be done to you in public. But because you've repented, you shall not die. Cut a long story short. The child dies. And sword was released in the house of David. From that moment onward, you see that just all kinds of trouble began to happen in David's house. Eventually, his son Absalom rebelled against him. And to fulfill the consequence or the judgment that has been released because of what David did. Now, don't get this wrong. It is not God that's punishing David. It is David reaping the harvest of the seed he has sown. <laughs> did, you, did you get that? You say, God will punish you. No, see, God has put the punishment on Jesus Christ. But there is still the principle of seed time and harvest. Galatians 6, for whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also what? Reap. He that soweth to what? The flesh shall from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that soweth to what? The spirit shall from the spirit reap what? Eternal life. So that is still valid. That is still intact. Don't think to yourself, I'll sin and just repent. Because it carries a consequence. But when you bring your sin to God, said, Lord, this is what I've done. You know what? The blood of Jesus will forgive you and wash you clean and wash away the sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has they removed our iniquities from us. And the thing about the east and the west is they never meet. He puts your sin into his blood and his blood remits it. And his blood washes you clean and you become as white as snow. Come on now, say amen. But praise God, he repented finally. He said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was shaping in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. That's where you get the whole of Psalm 51. Because of the sin of David. Praise God. There was, a, there was repentance. And you know what? When people repent, God forgives them and God restores them. Are you not glad that we serve a God who restores people? Are you not glad that Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ took the sin and the consequence of sin upon himself? Do you know that Jesus went to hell so that we don't have to go to hell? Come on now, say amen. amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. Do you know that Jesus died spiritually, that we don't die spiritually anymore? Amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. Someone said, Jesus died spiritually? Well, let me tell you what spiritual death is. Spiritual death is separation from God. 
says Jesus hung on the cross and the scene of the word was upon him and the father had to turn his back because the father is so holy cannot behold sin with his eyes and Jesus cried Eloi Eloi lamaxabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me for the moment there was disconnect and that spiritual death and that happened so that every death that we had to die, Jesus died so that we would live. Every death. Every death. Every death. Spiritual death. Physical death. And death in hell. Jesus took all of that. That's what the Bible said. The wages of sin is death. Both the gift of God. It's eternal life uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today, as you come and give your life to Jesus, guess what? Eternal life shall be put in your heart, put in your spirit. And I tell you, the life of God will begin to flow in you from today. You'll never be the same again. The consequence of sin will be broken. You will be forgiven. And I'm here to announce to you that Jesus loves you so very much. And that is the reason why He left the throne and the glories of heaven and came down to earth and walked on dusty earth that he might restore you back to your father in heaven. When man sinned in the garden of Eden, man did not lose a religion. Man lost a relationship with God and Jesus did not come to restore religion back to us. Rather Jesus came to restore our relationship back to God and that is what he has come to do. For this reason the son of man was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil have been destroyed but we come in faith and we receive what Jesus has done on Calvary and we say yes we accept the sacrifice of Calvary for he that knew no sin became sin sacrifice that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ 